Welcome to the Farm Commons Podcast, where we make farm law accessible and actionable for sustainable farmers and ranchers, as well as their networks of support. I'm Eva. And I'm Kate. In each episode, we explore real legal issues faced on farms every day, providing key knowledge and tangible solutions to help you grow a thriving agricultural business. From managing liability to navigating tough conversations with landlords and neighbors, we've got your back. Let's get started. Hello and welcome, listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Farm Commons podcast. This is Kate, and it's just me today, no Eva, but that's okay. We're going to have a lot of fun without her. I'm excited to talk about uh, our topic today. And just to dive in, let's acknowledge that it has been hard to find farm workers. That's been true for a number of years. Any farmer or rancher listening to this right now has probably struggled with labor shortages. And farmers and ranchers are looking for solutions. The H-2A visa program is one of those solutions. And today we're going to talk about what it is and how you can use it on your farm or ranch. And of course, we're going to have some expert advice helping us through this podcast. We've got Rachel, staff attorney and founder of Farm Commons, is going to talk to us about the H-2A program. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Kate, and uh, welcome, listeners. This is a this is a good topic, and I am really glad that we're having a chance to to explore it. Uh, Farm Commons hasn't done a lot um, with the H two A program. It's complicated, and we're going to talk through that today. Some of those complications, and it's not just legally complicated; it's morally and ethically complicated, and you know, kind of a proverbial minefield. So we will point out a few of those along the way, and I'm looking forward to sharing more with folks about the the issues. Awesome. So let's just get some grounding. Rachel, what is the H-2A program? Sure. So the H-2A visa program, well, its purpose is to allow U.S. employers, United States employers, to bring foreign nationals into the United States to fill temporary agricultural jobs for which the employer can't find sufficient willing and qualified U.S. workers to meet their uh, to meet the needs. So, you know, it's a the H-2A is just the, the title of a certain kind of visa, and um, H-2A lines up with all of the other types of visas that the United States administers to allow foreign citizens to work in the United States. Even if you start going down that path, you find H-2B and, you know, student, uh, student visas. Well, those don't allow you to work, but, you know, you get the idea. Visas. It allows foreign nationals to come to the United States under certain standards. So that's that's really what we are talking about in terms of uh, bringing in workers. Mm, great. Yeah, that's a very succinct summary. And I know that we're going to unpack that and that it um, involves a lot more than just the visa. So can you give us a little bit of background on the program? How long has it been around and why does it exist? Absolutely. So uh, the H-2A visa itself has been around since 1986. But the idea of uh, bringing in foreign nationals to assist with agricultural labor needs, that has been around a lot longer. This is the latest iteration um, of what we have. 
Now, H2A wasn't, it wasn't unpopular when it, uh, when it was created, but the important point I think right now is that it's exploding in popularity among U.S. farm businesses um, in the last uh, several years. So, for example, between uh, 2010 and 2019, use of the H-2A visa program increased more than 220%. Wow. Yeah, so, it's, so there's, there's a lot of expanding use. And then between 2021 and forecasts for 2022, looking at another 15 to 20% increase year over year. So we're sensing that, uh, that there's a need here and we're, we're feeling it through H-2A. Mm. Wow, yeah, those that is some huge expansion um, and definitely aligns with what we've heard from farmers and ranchers that it is just so hard to fully staff their farms and ranch businesses. Um, so I have, I have lots more questions about that, um, but I do want to just acknowledge before we go on any further that the H-2A visa program is rife with misuse and abuse. There's a lot of concern about human trafficking and, and worker safety that we definitely are going to address and talk about a little bit later. So farmers and ranchers should definitely stay tuned for tips and resources about how to participate in the program ethically. Uh, but for now, Rachel, can you tell us a little bit more about who is using the H-2A visa program? Sure, sure. So the expanding usage is national in scope. Farmers and ranchers in all parts of the country are increasing their, their usage. But at the same time, uh, the expansion here is most pronounced when we're talking about agricultural businesses that have a high labor requirement and that have seasonal employment. So, for example, the percentage of H-2A certifications, which is another word for the numbers of visas issued, um, the number going to vegetables and melons went from 20% in 2010 to 34% in 2019. So we're seeing, you know, a lot of those folks that that produce vegetables and melons, which can be hand intensive, hand labor intensive, um, uh, turning to H-2A. There's been a similar increase for fruit and tree nuts, again, that have that hand labor requirement. Other areas of expansion are things like detasseling corn and tobacco production. So in terms of geography around the United States, the, the top states are those that produce these kinds of, you know, labor-intensive products. So states that, um, that are at, on that list are Florida, Georgia, Washington, California, and North Carolina. So not terribly surprising considering that emphasis on fruits, vegetables, and tobacco. Now, looking at this increase and knowing that the program is here uh, to provide opportunities when businesses uh, cannot find sufficient qualified and willing uh, domestic workers, what this seems to say is that farm employers are having a hard and harder time finding that capable, um, willing workforce here in the United States. Probably not a surprise to our listeners, right? And uh, if anyone is tuning into the podcast because we're talking about H2A, well, that's probably why you're here. Uh, we also serve a lot of, Farm Commons serves an audience that that does have a lot of hand-intensive operations. We serve a lot of farmers that grow organically, and, and a lot of times a substitute for chemicals is, is hands. So, um, so that's, that's a lot of what our audience is, is feeling. They're feeling those pain points um, of trying to figure out where, um, how to build a sustainable workforce strategy. Mm. 
Thank you for that background and context. And, um, you know, now that we have that, I'm feeling pretty primed to just dive in to the legal know-how of the program so that people listening can actually, you know, learn a little bit about how this could actually benefit them. So first question, just to get straight to the point, can anybody use the H2A visa program? Technically speaking, yes. Anyone anyone can use it. It is possible to, to explore this and take advantage of this opportunity. But I think it's really helpful to think about who this is a good fit for. Uh, using H2A isn't going to work for all kinds of farms, even if they're technically eligible to use it. To reinforce that, I want to make sure we understand one point. H2A does not supply workers. The H2A program is the name of a visa and the process by which that visa is administered. It is not the name of a program that recruits or supplies workers to a farm operation. So separately, and at the same time as the business owner is working through the process of that visa, that piece of paper that allows someone to be in the United States and working, the operator, the farm operator needs a separate and additional strategy to find those individuals in that foreign country who are qualified, willing, and able to travel to the United States for work on their farm. I also want to point out right away that farms need to have financial and other resources to use a H-2A program successfully. H-2A does not lower labor costs. To the contrary, labor costs for a farm are higher under H-2A. And so this is, if, if, if a farm's central challenge is that they don't have the profitability or the cash flow to pay workers, this is not a solution. And it's not meant to be a solution for that. It is a solution for an insufficient supply. And the reason it costs more uh, to, to, to work through this program is because uh, there are additional regulatory um, obligations uh, for using workers through H-2A, which include a higher minimum wage, paying for transportation to and from the worker's home country, uh, providing housing. So, you know, um, but at the same time, those higher labor costs, that's, that's no problem for a lot of farms. They are happy to pay for labor. They just need to find it at all so that they can get crops um, out of the fields and livestock to market. Mm. Yeah, those are some pretty huge things to flag. So participating in the program does not actually bring you workers, and it won't save farmers and ranchers money. So I definitely want to get into that first point about uh, farmers and ranchers needing to recruit the workers. But first, let's help folks figure out if the program is even financially feasible for them. I like it. I think that's a great place to start. So let's talk about uh, uh, payroll and and the, the payments side of things. So employers must provide the following things to their H-2A workers. They have to provide the cost of travel from their home country to the place of employment, so the farm, along with the cost of the return trip. Farms need to pay all the visa fees for an H-2A employee to work in the United States. So there's, there's you know, a threshold rate, think somewhere between four and $600, and then a per uh, visa rate on top of that. The pay per hour. H-2A employees must be paid 
um, either the state minimum wage, the prevailing wage, which is called the AEWR, or whichever is greater. So honestly, it's the AEWR that is higher in almost all cases. And the AEWR varies depending on your region, but think somewhere between $12 and $18 an hour. So for example, let's take New Hampshire um, as for instance. Uh, the AEWR is $15.66. So every H-2A worker in New Hampshire must be paid at least that amount. That's the minimum. And it doesn't just apply to two H-2A workers. Any farm that utilizes H-2A workers must also pay domestic workers at least as much as the H-2A workers. So they got to be paid the same. We also have to provide workers' compensation um, insurance if we aren't already, already doing that. So that's, those are some of the key previews, those costs of travel, the visa fees, and uh, adjusting the minimum wage and providing workers' compensation as, as some of those initial costs. Okay. And I'm imagining those costs uh, associated with those legal obligations could feel pretty abstract right now for some people listening in. For example, what does workers' compensation even cost? Um, so I want to point people to the episode notes for the podcast where we listen, where we list some resources uh, that are in the Farm Commons library, and farmers and ranchers can look through those resources to actually make these costs more concrete. Okay, Rachel, what other legal obligations are involved for farmers or ranchers who are participating in the H-2A visa program? Sure. So if we transition away from more like you know, costs we see as payroll costs and towards the other expenses. Uh, let's go there. We have a number of obligations that help ensure an adequate uh, living standard for workers. The farm employer needs to provide free inspected and certified housing for all H-2A employees. It needs to be inspected and certified by all the relevant authorities, and that includes federal and usually also state and local um, bodies that are concerned with um, housing. Now we do have uh, we do have more information, but I'll let you cover that later. Um, daily transportation from housing to work sites, if those are different, and that generally needs to be provided for free as well. The employer needs to provide safe, insured transportation at least once per week to a shopping destination. So say, you know, a Walmart or another big box store where folks can buy what they need for the week. The employer needs to provide free and convenient access to kitchen and cooking facilities, or they can provide free uh, three meals a day. And yes, uh, employees can be charged for those meals, but at no more than $14 a day for those, those three meals. This can feel a little disrupting to expectations because these kinds of obligations, free housing, transportation, that's not traditionally part of farm worker wages or expectations when it comes to domestic workers. And, you know, the reasons for, the, for this difference is because this is a fundamentally different situation. Workers who come to the United States through an H-2A visa generally have never been to this country before, unless they were here previously on an H-2A visa. They're generally not able to be licensed drivers in the, in the United States. They're not familiar with our cities and towns, our shopping stores, and they generally need support in, in, in being able to connect to those resources. 
you know, if we imagine being dropped in a in a foreign country um, and expected to try to get to workshop and meet our needs, we would need support as well. And so that's why the program um, provides for this. Yeah. Yeah, this this is feeling like a, a good place to pause and sort of do a, a check-in. Um, so far, we've learned that the H-2A program involves a lot more complexity and obligations than hiring domestic workers, and for good reason. Like you said, we want, we want the people that we employ uh, from other countries to be able to meet their basic needs easily, and farmers and ranchers have a responsibility to provide that. But I want to offer listeners two questions right now that could be helpful to reflect on as you think about if this program is right for you. First question, are you experiencing difficulty securing domestic workers? And second question, can you provide each of the legal obligations we just outlined to any H-2A employees that you, you find? So if you answered no to either of those questions, then H-2A might not be the program for you. And if you answered yes or you're not sure, then you should stick with us and finish out this podcast. Um, I want to turn to how farmers and ranchers can actually find workers through H-2A, since we already covered that the program itself does not provide uh, support for that. So, Rachel, you said that employers need a strategy for finding workers, recruiting workers from other countries who are qualified, willing, and able to travel to the United States for work on, on farms and ranches. So how can farmers and ranchers find those people? Great question. Great question. Exactly as you say. Um, folks need to recruit, evaluate, and find the candidates that they want to hire. The visa is just what makes it legal for them to be hired. So, you know, over the years, farmers have traditionally turned to like industry associations, you know, such as associations of tree fruit growers and the like for assistance in recruiting. In order to serve their members, these associations have developed the networks to be able to connect their members to resources that assist them with H-2A programs. So they may have uh, recruiters in uh, the target countries where, where folks uh, come from to, to do this. There are other opportunities, but I would say industry associations are probably um, the, the, the top source for recruitment. Folks are also able to turn to what are called H2ALC or labor contractors or farm labor contractors or FLCs. Please forgive all of the acronyms. <laughs> Just think labor contractor or FLC. Uh, farm labor contractors are small business owners themselves who provide, for a fee, recruitment services. Many of these um, FLCs will also provide assistance with paperwork or help understanding regulatory obligations and communications with these candidates uh, who, as a general rule, do not speak English and also may not even speak Spanish or other commonly known um, languages in the United States. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I think I could hear a little bit of the hesitation in your voice when you introduce the, the FLC option. And I think this is where it's a good moment for us to talk about the abuse and worker mistreatment that I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast. So FLCs, you know, since they are communicating with workers and providing services like assisting with paperwork and regulatory obligations, um, they often end up controlling a lot of the worker's experience, such that even a well-intentioned 
farmers, such as somebody listening to this podcast, may not even realize that their workers are being coerced or experiencing wage theft or being trafficked against their will. Exactly, exactly. Um, Folks listening to this podcast may say, you know, I've never seen that happen. I know farmers who use H2A and I don't think anyone's being trafficked or, or, you know, experiencing thievery. Well, it, it does, and we don't often see it. Let me, let, me, let me outline this for you a little bit. So if a contractor is distributing pay, deciding where workers live, what they eat, where they work, then the workers who work for that contractor are very vulnerable. The recruiters have significant influence over workers because without the recruiter, they don't have a job. So here's a story to help make this come more alive. Uh, this, of course, is an alias, and it's pulled from, um, from a real story, but details have been changed. So let's say we have a fellow named Santana. Santana works on a local apple orchard, and this is a job that he's secured with the help of Carlos, who is an FLC, farm labor contractor. Carlos is from Santana's hometown and is well known there. Everything was going fine um, for Santana in his uh, job at the orchard until one day, Carlos came and demanded a cut of Santana's wages. Or else, Carlos would refuse to connect Santana to future work. He would be, go home and be out of a job. Naturally, Santana resists, wants to be extorted, you know? Well, because he resisted, Carlos then threatened to have a couple of his henchmen back home set fire to Santana's grandmother's house. Facing that prospect, Santana relents, and he begins paying 20% of his wages back to Carlos to avoid that threat of, you know, potentially death to his grandmother. Then when the apple job ends, Carlos lies and sends Santana to work in a different state, away from his peers, to further isolate Santana. Then, if that isn't enough, Carlos steals Santana's visa paperwork so that Santana cannot just go back home. And now it appears that Santana is in the United States illegally, is subject to, uh, to indefinite detention and deportation. All of this can happen while Santana is showing up to work every day and appearing to do normal things and be perfectly fine. And the farmer never has any idea that Santana is working under threats of violence, being extorted and trafficked into jobs in the United States. Hmm. So, you know, nobody wants to be responsible for that. No farmer wants to have that on their on their hands. And I know that the folks listening to this are are saying, well, you know, not me. How do I avoid that? The best solution that we can offer is to do your own recruitment. If you let someone come in and be in charge of the fundamentals of someone's work life, you are making them vulnerable. So doing recruitment and managing those aspects yourself is the best way to, um, to ensure that uh, your individual, the, the worker who is putting forth their blood, sweat, and tears um, to, to work for your farm isn't being extorted, threatened, or suffering wage theft. But, you know, I know that's hard. I know that recruiting, I mean... Who do I know in these target countries? No one. Probably the same for many folks. So what else can you do? Some key things folks can do is develop relationships with the people who work for you. You might not speak their language, but in these modern times, try an app, try Google Translate or other resources to help bridge that language gap and build an authentic relationship. 
I also suggest helping workers set up bank accounts and getting connected to resources. Don't necessarily just leave that for other people to do who could use that opportunity for ill. Help folks get their money in place and use it to their advantage. I also can't stress enough to research and get references on every person you work with within the H-2A program. You're, you're dependent on, on uh, their integrity, and so research it <laughs> to see that they have it. These are the least things we can do to honor the dignity of folks who are using their bodies to help our farms survive and thrive into the future. And I know folks want to, um, want to you know, follow their own moral compass, and these are ways we can do that. Hmm. Yeah, thank you for those those tips for participating in the H2A visa program ethically. Um, yeah, I know that the, the U.S. does not have a great track record with uh, fair worker treatment um, generally and especially for, for people who are employed from other countries. So, I yeah, it's really important that we are able to just stress uh, how, how the potential for abuse is alive and real. So listeners who made it this far uh, probably feel like the H2A could be a good fit for them. And before we wrap up, um, let's touch on what what does it actually look like to enroll in the H2A visa program? Great question. We can definitely run through that. And I I think it is really timely because considering the expansion of this program, it is clearly meeting a need. And many of our listeners might be uh, wanting to learn more. Being successful with moving through the H-2A visa process requires a lot of preparation. There are many things that a farmer needs to comply with in order to complete the paperwork, like getting one's housing OSHA certified, for example, or certified for the regulatory authorities, um, and which would in- include OSHA getting involved. So these applications, you can go look at them, download them. They're fairly easy to find. But what we need to remember is that completing these is like a quiz. A person has to have studied up and prepared answers and then answer the questions in a way that shows that you know the rules. If you answer all the questions correctly in your application, you know, you pass, you pass the test. And that is also a a test to show that you passed other tests, like getting your housing approved and things like that. So what I want folks to keep in mind is just as many farmers and ranchers hire someone to help them with their taxes, many will hire someone to fill out the necessary forms for the the H-2A program. Attorneys do it. Some other non-attorneys also provide that service. Farmers can complete the paperwork themselves, and some do it, but it is definitely not for the faint of heart. It requires a real investment in your own knowledge in how to figure out these forms and, um, and comply with the obligations. Consider working with a professional um, for folks who are new to the process, just like we consider that when we're preparing our taxes and doing our accounting. Um, The same goes for folks that are in the situation of requesting an extension of the end date of an existing contract with H-2A workers. Um, You know, it's good to to mention right here that folks can request a two-week or longer extension um, past the original due date of their their visas, and you can get an extension for up to a a year, but it helps to have a professional make sure that that request is going to be approved. So I know that that is not the, you know, 
steps one, two, three process and naming forms that, that people might want, but I want to be really realistic about what it takes to move through the H2A program and how to be successful. So I, I strongly recommend reaching out to those professionals that assist in this area. Great. Thank you so much, Rachel, for uh, for that background information and key insights into how to apply to the program and actually utilize it. So folks who have listened so far, uh, we're going to wrap up now. Some action steps for you. Like I mentioned, we have some resources on our website to help you dive a little bit deeper into how to utilize the H2A visa program. So there is actually a full webinar recording uh, that dives into more of the legal obligations and the nitty gritty of making this work for your farm. So you can find that in our library. Uh, There's a link to that in the show notes. We also have a resource called the guide to hiring obligations and in kind and the farmer's guide to in kind wages, uh, which are both applicable to the H2A visa program. So check those out in the show notes and uh, Rachel, I just want to thank you for your time as always. Um, and sending sending my best wishes to our farmer and rancher listeners. Absolutely. And thanks for uh, thanks for listening, folks. And I do think that those resources are a wonderful next next place to to go. You might not be ready to talk with that professional yet. Go watch the full webinar recording for more details. Um, and definitely the guide to hiring obligations and our farmer's guide to in-kind wages will really help folks understand, okay, what am I looking at here in terms of, of what it takes to provide um, for a, a legally resilient workforce program? Awesome. Thank you all. Bye. Bye. We're so glad you joined us for this episode of the Farm Commons podcast. If you are looking for more resources on your burning farm law questions, visit our website at farmcommons.org for a variety of workshops, guides, checklists, tutorials, and more. You can also email your questions and comments to info at farmcommons.org. Stay tuned for our next episode, and until then, keep growing.